I'm hoping that anyone who comes to the site, even if maybe they've never fly fished before, maybe they just really like the outdoors, maybe they climb or bike, and they think, hey, maybe I could, you know, throw a rod in my backpack and give this a try. You know, maybe it inspires someone to, to pick up rods for the first time, um, even if they've never heard of fly fishing or, you know, know what it entails. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Today, it's our pleasure to have on the program Katie Burgert. Now, Katie is from Lakewood, Colorado, from Fish Untamed, backcountry fly fishing specialist. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the program today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So we're going to talk about all things Fish Untamed and, and the backcountry. I just first off kind of like to set the scene and uh, figure out how, how things all started for you, Katie. Like, how did you come to discover uh, fly fishing? Yeah, so I started off, I think, like most kids, spin fishing. Um, and I didn't have a parent or anything who, uh, who spin fish or fly fish. So I just kind of picked it up um, to entertain myself. And my dad would take me out uh, in the boat on the river. And uh, he just kind of enabled me, but he didn't fish. Uh, but my, my sister actually lived out in Colorado. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania and she worked with a guy who worked part-time at a fly shop and he was looking for some summer help. And he asked her if, uh, she knew anyone who liked to fish. So she gave me a call and asked if I was interested. And I told her and him that I didn't fly fish, but they said that if, uh, I wanted to learn that they would teach me. So I came out to Colorado kind of on a whim and haven't really looked back since. <laughs> That's awesome. So how how did you come to discover specifically backcountry fly fishing? Because that's a bit of a that's a bit of a trek from you know fishing local streams and, and tributaries. Yeah, it's uh, I didn't really grow up doing much like backcountry or hiking or anything, but um, I kept working out here for a couple summers, and you know our, the company would do uh, a lot of backcountry trips, uh, still like day trips, but we would do um, some hikes back up to Alpine Lakes and things like that, and I just really kind of locked onto those trips. I much preferred those to taking the shorter ones in town. Um, and so even though I don't really do much of that guiding anymore, uh, I still just really love getting away from people and getting up into the wilderness and chasing fish up there. She's always so beautiful and uh, the fishing's always so good. It's really hard to come back to fishing in town when that's available. <laughs> I always find it really interesting when you get into some of those alpine lake settings or, or stream settings and how pretty the fish are because everything seems to be magnified, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. Definitely. What what species are you targeting for the most part in, in your neck of the woods? So when you're up in the high alpine, what what are you catching? I'd say it's probably a mix of cutthroats and brook trout, um, the occasional rainbow or brown uh, but I feel like I see a lot more of those down here closer to town, which I'm definitely not opposed to fishing in town either. But uh, I'd say when I get up kind of the higher lakes, it's usually brookies and cutthroats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are both beautiful, beautiful fish. 
Never seen an ugly brook trout, have you? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> so tell us, we, dial us in on Fish Untamed. So the, the blog, the website, maybe take us through that journey. How did that all get started for you? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really know at what point I decided to kind of turn it into a content-focused thing, but I think it was mostly um, created out of the fact that eventually I had to, you know, quit guiding over the summer and take up a full-time job. And at that point you just don't get to fish as much. So this I think was kind of my way to scratch my itch when I wasn't able to spend as much time out in the backcountry. And the more I did it, I just kind of tried it out as something fun to do. And the more I did it, I just found that um, I liked the connections I was making. I really liked helping people and getting people to ask questions and it just kind of snowballed from there. And I haven't stopped and have no intentions of stopping. Did you have a writing background before you started the blog? Or is that something you just picked up kind of as you went? Uh, I'd say it's more something I just picked up as I went. I, I volunteered for a couple of years doing the newsletter for my uh, local chapter of Trout Unlimited. But that was uh, a lot more like short short news pieces and stuff like that. So I'd say I kind of just went, made it up as I went. But uh, it's, got, it's gotten a lot easier, but it's still definitely uh, not my strong suit uh, in terms of my background. So when people visit uh, Fish Untamed, check out your blog and your website, what kind of stories are they likely to see there? Like, what's your main content driver? I I try to do a good mix of um, different styles just because I know there's lots of different things that people are looking for out there. Uh, I find that even though I like the idea of writing stories of um, things I've been up to, I'd say that writing about myself and stories uh, about my own adventures are probably the hardest ones for me to do. Uh, so I try to focus a little more on um, how-tos, uh, both for beginners and uh, more experienced fishermen. And I also like to do things that aren't specifically fishing-related, but that I think will interest the typical um, fly fishermen or just kind of backcountry uh, enthusiasts in general. So everything from conservation to public lands to news, all that kind of stuff, just something that your general outdoorsman would find interesting. Well, it's, it always amazes me how much crossover there is. And I think that it hasn't always been that way. All of a sudden, fly fishing, we, t- we talk to a lot of people that are into the outdoor sports in general, whether it's mountain biking or hiking or climbing. There's a lot of crossover there. And there's, I think there's a really wide audience range there that are interested in all those things. I totally agree. I, I feel like to separate the groups that are all kind of um, sharing the outdoors together is kind of foolish. And um, I'm by no means only a fly fisherman. I also like to hunt. I hike, ski. Um, I actually haven't been fishing in a while because the snow's been so good this year. So um, to separate groups like that, I think is is pointless. And I'm hoping that anyone who comes to the site, even if maybe they've never fly fished before, maybe they just really like the outdoors. Maybe they climb or bike, and they think, hey, maybe I could you know throw a rod in my backpack and give this a try. You know, maybe it inspires someone to to pick up rods for the first time. Um, even if they've never heard of fly fishing or, you know, know what it entails. Do you do a lot of fly tying yourself? Uh, I used to dabble in it a little more. Uh, I haven't recently, because uh, we, we moved last summer, and I haven't got my fly tying set up, yeah. um, geared up yet. But uh, it's, it's something I'm hoping to get more into down the road. It's just kind of been on the back burner. Uh, I mostly tie, like, fairly simple things. Well, mo- moving can do that. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm still looking at boxes from years and years ago I haven't unpacked. Yeah, it's always, it's always you know, next week I'll get that done and then it just gets pushed off. Yeah, I hear you. So 
something I like to do on the on the podcast, Katie, is um, take us through an ideal day for you, what that would look like. So kind of your dream day. Let's paint a picture for the listeners. Um, I assume it's going to be somewhere in the backcountry, but you know, when does that start and, and, and who you're taking that journey with and, and what kind of fish you're catching? Just kind of paint us a, a picture, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd say uh, it'd definitely be with um, some of the friends I made when I was guiding uh, more regularly over the summer. We had, I was lucky enough to work with quite a few other women uh, where I worked, and we still keep in touch, even though most of us have kind of moved on and started other things. So I usually try to make make time once a year to, you know, get together with them and do some sort of bigger trip. So I'd say, you know, with some of my girlfriends from, from guiding and we'd, we'd probably get up, you know, maybe five or 6am, grab a bite to eat and get on the trail. Um, probably somewhere in Colorado. Uh, although we will be doing some trips out of state this year. Uh, I'd say maybe a hike four to five miles in somewhere we can get away from people and hopefully not see anyone else while we're up there. Hopefully with good views and probably chasing some cutthroat, some sort of native cutthroat. Have a have a lunch up there, spend some time along the lake or river, just hanging out, and then make it back for a big dinner. That sounds pretty good. So when you're out there, I'm just curious on on these trips because obviously you probably want to pack fairly light. I mean, I'm, I would imagine that how you pack and what you take with you is is a, is a is a big deal on these trips. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, the trips, the trips vary too. I mean, if I'm, if I'm camping, it's going to be a lot different than if I'm just going up for the day uh, or if we're taking belly boats up, we like to take belly boats up if it's going to be uh, kind of a shorter hike. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could be most of the pack is filled up with a belly boat and we've got just the essentials that we're going to kind of tie on, or it might include a, you know, tent sleeping bag and everything at which point uh, we might still have to cater what all we can bring for fishing to fit <laughs> Right. So what about waders? Is that a, a must-have? Uh, depends where we're going. I'd say I try to do some research beforehand and find out if you can get away with no waders. Um, there's definitely a couple places that, that we go to regularly that, that don't require waders, and those ones are always a little more appealing just because it saves us so much weight and the hassle of getting them on. Uh, but if, if they're necessary to get to the fish, then I'll take them. Mm-hmm. Now, are most of the fish that you're targeting, are you able to fish uh, a lot of dries? I'd say usually, yeah. And I don't know if that's just because the fish are usually a little less pressured when you're that far in, but I rarely need to fish nymphs um, when I'm in the backcountry. But it might also just be because typically we're going to backcountry lakes, like high alpine lakes, and I find that those just are like dry fly heaven versus, you know, the streams in town that you usually kind of happen to rake the bottom with nymphs. Yeah, that's that's very true. I I, I know because I do fish uh, a a few high alpine streams, and I just find the fish are always prettier, and they're just a lot more willing to take a fly. You know that you just don't seem to have to work as hard when there's when there's less pressure. Would you find that accurate? Yeah, I I agree definitely. Um, I I guess it's just from the pressure. Uh, it's not like they're you know completely on different diets than the fish down here, but mm-hmm. just something about probably not, not getting fish for very often. They're just more willing to take pretty much any fly. A dry dropper would also be great just because, you know, double your chances. I often wonder too, if you could go back in time, like two, 300 years, if that's kind of what fishing would be like everywhere. I thought that too. <laughs> I, I, you know, because pressure, like, <clears throat> I mean, even in the last 30, 40 years of some of the waters that I fish, the, 
there's definitely more people out there now, which is great for the sport. Don't get me wrong, but those fish definitely react a little differently. Like when you fish, if you fish a, like say a, a ranch that has catch a release and those fish, um, you know, they, they've been caught before. So they, they, they get pretty smart all of a sudden, you know what I mean? They do. And there's something to be said about, you know, kind of testing your skills. I, I'm by no means limited to the backcountry and only fishing for unpressured fish. I'll happily go fish in town and, you know, it's kind of fun to, to try to catch a fish that knows what you're up to. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely not limited to the fish that are not, not pressured. So from all your time on these beautiful hikes with a fly rod, have you got any crazy fish stories, Katie, from the backcountry that you'd be willing to share with us today that uh, come to mind? Uh, yeah, um, this is one I actually wrote about on on Fish Untamed. But this past summer, uh, my friend Allie and I went up uh, looking for a small population of golden trout that have just kind of lingered in Colorado after being stocked there years ago. And we we kind of went into this hike blind, not really knowing because a lot of it a lot of it was off trail. So we kind of just picked a trailhead, went in and, and saw how it went. And we ended up starting to hike at like 11 p.m. or something just because we didn't have a lot of time off. We weren't really sure how long it was going to take. And we we were set on going, you know, three or four miles in that night, setting up camp and then getting up the next morning. But maybe half an hour in, we were kind of walking through this field and we just saw this pair of eyes on the trail ahead of us. Uh, we weren't sure what it was. We kind of yelled at it. We thought it was probably a bear, but it ended up kind of just circling around us. So we just like panicked and pitched a tent right there on the trail. Um, got up the next morning and ended up having to do the next, uh, I think it was like another eight or nine miles that day. So by the time we got up there, we were just so exhausted, but we've never been so happy to get in our sleeping bags. Uh, did you ever figure out what those eyes were attached to? We did not, but we didn't, uh, we didn't, we didn't look much into it apart from getting into the tent. <laughs> But we ended up we did end up finding our uh, our golden trout, so it was it was worth it in the end. Awesome. Now tell us tell us about these golden trout because there's not a lot of people that have had the opportunity to fish for these because there's not. I mean, let's face it, they're not everywhere. They're very select locations, and it doesn't sound like there's maybe as many as there used to be. Uh, what's it like fishing for these fish? You know, it was easier than we thought in terms of uh, once we once we got up there and we did find the the small population they were super eager to eat. And maybe that goes back to the fact that they, you know, are probably very rarely fished for. But um, I also haven't fished for them where they're native. So I'm not sure how they behave, uh, like over in California, where they're, where they're normally found. But uh, getting to them was by far the hardest part. And, and that's how I like it. I'd, I'd much rather put in the work on the trail and beat myself up, but then get really good fishing once I'm up there instead of uh, having to fight the fish to get one in. So... Yeah, very, very um, eager to take a fly, and uh, they they really enjoyed the undercut banks. They weren't out in the middle of the, hmm. the uh, stream, and they were only in very select areas of the stream. Okay, interesting. Yeah, they're such a pretty-looking fish, but you, would you say they act much like a small rainbow um, as far as fly selection-wise? Yeah, it was, it was pretty much anything we threw out, honestly, um, which, which, like I said, is, is kind of the standard once you're up that far out but we were throwing mostly like parachute atoms and and that kind of thing and they weren't they weren't picky about it yeah if you were to pick like one person or a couple of people that have been the biggest influences on your fly fishing who would that be yeah i just say it's it's pretty much everyone i worked with that first summer when i came out here um not necessarily one person in particular but just 
I was, I was kind of immersed as the, the newbie uh, in a group of people that had been doing this for years. And everyone was just so welcoming and so helpful. And um, since then, we've had more people come in and kind of be the newbie. And, you know, I've kind of gotten to take on that role and help, help people underneath me. And I think that that's, I'd say that whole group of people I worked with my first summer would be the, the biggest influences. And I still keep in touch with almost all of them just because it's such a supportive group of people. So just being not that far from Denver, Colorado, and the Lakewood area, where would you go to talk fishing? Have you got a favorite coffee shop or a fly shop that you like to frequent that uh, kind of get the, the lay of the land? Yeah, so our local shop here is uh, Arbor Anglers. And I've been having fun with them because they do, they do these classes, um, and they're, they're usually free, and they usually give you beverages and have, have some sort of presentation. But um, that's, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to those guys over at Arbor Anglers. Um, when I was in Denver, I liked trout. They were always very helpful. And um, as, as a woman going to a fly shop, it's always really nice when you have people uh, kind of perk up and, and help you out. You know, it, it's gotten a lot better in the past couple of years, but you know, when I, when I was first coming out here, it would, it would be uh, assumed sometimes that you weren't coming in to buy for yourself or things like that. So I've just had really good, really good time getting to know those guys. Cause they've always, they've always just been um, really helpful and really stand up guys. Yeah. I can see that being kind of frustrating. You're in, you're in there to look for something for your, for your fly box or maybe some time materials. And it's a pretty big assumption, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely gotten a lot better. You know, I, I, for the most part, don't experience any problems these days. Um, I think it's just getting a lot more mainstream and, and it's just, it's good now. Yeah. That's actually something we talked about on the show a a few times too. I know, I know, I remember when I was uh, back when I was pretty young kid, I I was quite intimidated walking into a fly shop. It was, was, you know, there was a lot of bravado, but I think it's a, it's a lot more of a, a welcoming environment now, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And my boyfriend got into fly fishing more recently. And, um, I know that he still doesn't really know what to ask sometimes when we walk in, but the, I, I think the mentality has kind of shifted from, um, assuming that the customer knows exactly what they want when they come in and it's kind of shifted more towards, um, like, let me help you out. Let me see what you need. And it, it's made it a lot more, um, appro- I, it's made fly shops a lot more approachable. I think in the past few years with, with that mindset shift. Yeah. That's well said. If you could change something, Katie, about fly fishing, is there anything that comes to mind that you'd like to see us do differently? Uh, you know, I think, I think I would change the, some of the ego that I see online sometimes, especially on social media. Um, it seems sometimes it's, it's a lot of people trying to show, um, you know, how, how good they are at fishing or trying to put other people down, um, probably for the same reason. And sometimes I feel like the community gets pretty divided there. And I, I I think that it's just not good for the community as a whole. And since we're such a small group of people, so even within the angling world, but within, within outdoor sports in general, um, we need all the help we can get. And so I just, I would, I would like to see people be a little more welcoming, a little more helpful instead of, you know, trying to put other people down, um, or just kind of try to look like their own egos sometimes. Yeah. I hear you. Um, let's get back to your, to your blog, to your website, uh, Fish Untamed. What are you working on these days? Uh, maybe throw us a little taste of what you've got coming, uh, as far as blogs go. Yeah. So for the, the blog, it's, it's kind of just business as usual. I'm, you know, got, got a couple articles in the works. I, I find that how-to stuff can kind of get a little dry at times. 
Um, so we're going to try to focus on pretty much all all the other aspects of, of fly fishing. Yeah, that appeals to me too because I I, just, I love getting people's stories and not just about fly fishing. Like um, we had a gentleman on the other day and he was he was basically describing his perfect day on the water and he just when people start painting that picture. You know, it makes me want to get out there, and and then their passion starts coming through, and it's it's infectious. It is. I agree. And I mean, the the people I've met since since uh, getting involved in this whole community has just been it's just been fantastic. I mean, everyone has their own story, and everyone has something to contribute. And I I learn something every time I talk to people. It seems. Yeah. Exactly. No, I hear you on that. So I know you talk about tips. You've got conservation as a driver. I saw you had some recipes on there. Maybe uh, what kind of uh, recipes do you have on your website? Yeah, I think I only have maybe one or two actual recipes on there right now, but I also try to do a couple other like helpful food tips just because food is a big part of you know going to the backcountry, especially if you're staying overnight. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I've got something on there right now about how to just fry up a trout over a, over a campfire. Mm-hmm. But I also try to include some things like how to, how to bring um, like spices and sauces into the backcountry with you. Cause um, just having a fish by itself doesn't necessarily taste that great if you don't have anything to put on it. So just some tips on how to kind of spice up your um, backcountry meal. So it's not as boring. You know, my favorite thing to do is to take a little foil pack of onions that are pre kind of sliced really thin with some fresh thyme and mm. some onions and some butter, and you just throw that foil on the fire, and man, I get hungry thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, foil packets are definitely uh, a big treat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just throw everything together, and it all just kind of simmers into one. So what about conservation aspect of things with, with the blog and the website? I, I You mentioned Trout Unlimited. Is that is that somebody you've worked uh, closely with in the past? Yeah, I, well, not Fish on Tame specifically working with them, but I did volunteer for them for a couple of years on the, uh, like working with the board on the newsletter. I wasn't, I wasn't actually part of the board itself, but like with the projects, but I was, I was at all the board meetings and kind of, you know, involved in hearing what all they were doing. Um, and also, I mean, this is less conservation and more public lands, but I'm also active with backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, they've got a lot of events coming through Denver and, uh, I kind of view conservation and public lands kind of hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you don't have fish to enjoy, then, there's no need to go out, but if you have nowhere to go, then it's kind of you're kind of in the same boat. So both of those organizations, I I'm fairly active with just when they have local events around here. So Katie, with the snow starting to recede on those upper peaks, and hopefully, uh, you know, some of the, those waters become more accessible in the near future. Here, what's what's 2019 looking like for you? Any big plans? Any big trips um, that are maybe a a little more unique to you this year? Yeah, um, this will be my this will be my first year fishing in California. I'm actually heading out to meet a friend in June. Um, and we'll be hiking up, uh, I think on a three or four day backpacking trip up to a couple lakes, I think near Yosemite, but that's, she's going to kind of be the the leader on this trip since she's been living out there for a while. So I'm kind of going in blind, but I kind of like that as well. Just kind of see what happens when we get there. Uh, in terms of Colorado, I don't really have any set plans yet, but just try to get out as much as possible, I guess. We have, we've had so much snow this year that we're probably going to have uh, a long runoff, but hopefully a really solid summer um, compared to last year, which is so hot and dry. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year for sure. It depends where you're at in in the continent as to the snowpack. I know it's we're a little low, actually, where I'm at, but the last couple of years it's been crazy high. So it's uh, Mother Nature has a funny way of evening things out. Yep, she does. 
so if somebody's looking for your for your website, um, let's get all your social media out there, Katie, as far as uh, Instagram and and your uh, your dot com. Yeah, so it's just um, fishuntamed dot com and fishuntamed on Instagram. Instagram's really the uh, the main social media platform I'm on. I don't do Facebook or anything, so mm-hmm. um, that's where I will link link back to my site and you know share updates and things like that. And I've got a newsletter too. If anyone wants to go onto the website and sign up, I'll send out updates and links to articles and things like that. Well, your blog and your website is an amazing source of information. Thanks for putting out so much good content and, and thanks a lot for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. We've been chatting today with Katie Burkert of Fish Untamed. Check out her blog website at fishuntamed.com and they specialize in backcountry fly fishing. Thanks for joining us. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.